Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. That means tomorrow is May the 1st, and so it's over, right? It's over, right? We can breathe a little easier. We can emerge from our COVID-19 cocoons. We can take flight as butterflies into spring, right? Well, not exactly. I understand that stay-at-home orders have been uh, lifted, or they're going to expire today in many, many places across the country. However, in some places they've been extended. Um, And even in states where the restrictions are being lifted, city centers and more densely populated areas are going to have to wait for stage four, whatever and whenever that comes in those places. There are, as of yesterday, um, new waves of layoffs being announced, um, things that will be happening today. And so those announcements came yesterday because they are effective on May the 1st. Companies are starting to do the calculus of uh, extended periods of time of lost revenue. Not a month, not two months, but through the summer for many. Summer camps, cucumber farms, conference centers, um, big venues, anywhere that is designed for lots of people to gather or for even smaller groups of people to gather, but to gather densely. There is conversation about extended school closures, and even when we go back, it's not going to be like it was. Long-term impacts of the last two months are now being, the math, you know, the math is being done. And, and let's be perfectly clear, the virus itself is not over. The shutdowns, the social distancing were put into place to flatten the curve. Let's remind ourselves what that meant. That meant to actually extend the period of time during which people across the country and around the world would contract the virus. It was it was designed to flatten the curve, to extend the period of time um, so that our healthcare system would not be overwhelmed all at once. Uh, there is still not a cure. The virus is still spreading. It's going to continue to spread. There is not a vaccine. At best, that is still months away. Friends, we're not through this. And so, you know, I know that, man, that sounds like a downer Debbie for this Thursday morning. Um, So I lift up Psalm 13. Not just the opening verse. How long? How long, O Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? I've been in this cocoon for a month. How long? How long? How long? Consider. Answer me. Consider. God, are you there? Verses 5 and 6. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How long, O Lord? Friends, let us not grow impatient with God. Do not begrudge God this time. 
Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Rest in him. Spend time rehearsing his good deeds, the bountiful ways in which he has dealt with us, his great acts. Let us sing with gratitude in our hearts. And yes, let us spend this time getting ready, getting ready as a people prepared to enter into the promises that God has for us on the other side of however long he requires us to wait. And in this time of waiting, let us not grumble or complain. Let us find opportunities to deepen the sweetness of our fellowship with God. Amen. Next up, I got Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He and I are going to talk about uh, the importance of worldview in considerations like who gets a ventilator. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right. So who gets a ventilator? The The question is um, stark in in just its frankness. The only reason we would be asking the question is because we would have two people um, who are judged to be in some kind of need, um, and we are going to have to make a difficult decision between the two of them, which is to say there aren't enough ventilators for everyone. Talk with us about the the way in which uh, a country does this kind of calculus and, and how a doctor does this kind of calculus when it, when it comes right down to who is going to get a ventilator. Um, and you and I are talking about this today because Pew Research is reporting that Americans are split on this question. According, according to an, a recent Pew Research Center survey, um, there's a stark difference in opinion based on your religious affiliation and how religious you are uh, in terms of which patients you think should get a ventilator. That's right. And obviously, this is a question that uh, is right now theoretical. However, it may not always be. Uh, at the very outset, uh, Governor Cuomo was concerned in New York that uh, this, this precise issue was going to come before them. They were looking at ways of splitting ventilators between patients because of their extreme lack of, of uh, enough ventilators before the federal government uh, was involved, that uh, they were looking at splitting ventilators between as many as four separate patients. Something was completely outside uh, the prescription for a ventilator. They didn't know if it would be, be capable of even helping at that level. And so the moral question before us is if you have two patients who are suffering uh, and one of them, according to the doctors, is more likely to survive than the other, do you give it to the patient who's most in need or do you give it to the patient who's most likely to survive according to medical diagnosis? So if you have someone who's elderly or has a lot of comorbidity and uh, or you know, and they've heard various, uh, your listeners undoubtedly have heard various variations of this question throughout time, uh, the old moral quandary, if uh, several people are dying and you can only save one, who would you save? And they will go through and list these. The question was presented by Pew Research. You have two patients. One of them is in greater need than the other one. He's, he or she is suffering a lot more. But the other one, according to doctors, is more likely to survive. Who would you give it to? And the American people are split, and they're split right on the basis of faith. 
there is exactly the same gap on either side. It's a uh, it's a large gap on either side of the question. How important is religion to you? And for those who say religion is very important, they say the person who is most in need receives the ventilator. For those who say that religion is not at all important in their lives, they say give it to the one who's most likely to survive. And what you see there is a difference in the reflection of whether we believe that all human beings, all human life is precious, created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, reflecting the divine image of God handed down in Genesis chapter 2, breathed into mankind at the very beginning of the human race. Or if you believe in a utilitarian calculus where we have a finite number of things, and in that case, instead of relying on what the Word of God says, we rely on uh, a quick utilitarian analysis provided by other so-called human experts. It's a stark difference, and it really goes to the, uh, to the moral point. That I think that, number one, morality is at the heart of all of our discussions. You know, all of our discussions are based around whether we believe in a morality that's been revealed or whether we believe in a utilitarian calculus. And Pew pointed out that uh, part of the reason that there's this gap is the fact that uh, secularists don't like to have moral quandaries. They don't like to, to grasp and be in, uh, in moral fog. They like certainty. And so they outsource that certainty to experts so that they can come to a quicker decision. But you can see that decision uh, in many ways disregards the image of God that uh, is in every single human life. And that's where Christians should come down. There's one paragraph in the uh, in in the Pew um, reporting on this that I just want to read to our audience before you and I take a break, uh, and then when we come back, I want to talk about um, the creative cooperation for which we were made. Uh, these findings, and, and again, here we're talking about Pew Research uh, reporting out this week. This is really stark difference between the way people who um, who are religious and describe themselves as religious uh, make decisions related to. Um, the morality of critical care. These findings are consistent with research showing that people who are not religious tend to prefer utilitarian solutions in a variety of moral dilemmas. This may uh, in part be due to a lack of shared, formalized moral rules among the non-religious who are more likely to rely on personal philosophy and ethical principles, um, which are obviously self-conceived, when resolving moral quandaries. Religious believers, on the other hand, often rely on deeply ingrained moral rules and a guidance from religious leaders and their texts. Religious, that would be the Bible. Uh, Religious people also may respond negatively to the idea of doctors, quote unquote, playing God by choosing which patients should receive potentially life-saving treatments. Um, So this is uh, this is a worldview conversation. It is one that you could have today with whoever uh, it is that you are in a conversation with. Who should get a ventilator? It's a good, good moral question, and it reveals much about our worldview. I'm going to continue my conversation in just a moment with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He and I are going to pivot. We're going to have a conversation about what humans are made for. That is creative cooperation and why the free market is going to rebuild our economy. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find uh, this next article at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, ben, let's talk about uh, the the creative spirit. Let's talk about cre- creative cooperation and 
why it bodes well for the rebuilding of, uh, of our free market economy? Well, we're going to need it. Unfortunately, as you uh, have undoubtedly seen, our economy has contracted by 5% in the last quarter. Uh, the global economy has contracted by 3% across 170 nations. So we're in a global pandemic right now, but we're also in a global economic ter- uh, downturn, and this is a huge problem for us. There is good news, as I say. The good news is there is good news, which is that uh, there's some research going on right now funded by uh, the uh, Templeton World Charity Foundation across several different disciplines all over this country and uh, with research going on around the globe, which has found that human beings naturally cooperate with one another in a crisis. Uh, so this is this is good news. Uh, research by the name of Athena Aktipis at uh, Arizona State University said that, uh, and this is a quotation, when people see someone's in need, they have the ability to help. Very often people spontaneously help without expecting anything in return. And she's run tests uh, literally from the Maasai tribe in Kenya all the way to Mongolia and all throughout the world. They have found that uh, it's universal from Tanzania to Texas and Fiji and all over the world. When people see other people in need, if they have the ability to help, whether or not they're going to gain anything, they voluntarily help other people. Uh, it's, it's simply within our, our natural law that's been revealed to us that other people are made in the image of God. Uh, and uh, she's also found, several researchers have found, that if they run this model through a computer, if you were to stop and ask someone to, uh, uh, for a, a transactional response, that someone would uh, only receive help if they would help you or promise to help you further down the line, or they would do something for you now, you wouldn't benefit as much as if you simply give now. So giving is, has a, a utilitarian help and, and uh, benefit for everyone. Uh, so I always like when science verifies what the Bible says, that uh, following the Bible has a, a, this worldly benefit to everyone around the world. So we are, we are built for this kind of creative cooperation where if someone is in need, we come alongside and help. We're going to need that so desperately. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the beginning of the book of Ruth and the way that that beautiful story un, unfolds in so few chapters. You have people who are gleaning. Gleaning is where you know, in the Old Testament you had to leave just a portion of the field untilled, and people would come by and work very hard. This was like work fair in the Old Testament. You had to work very hard on, uh, on this if you happened to be passing through and you didn't have provisions, but you would be allowed to work in someone's field and feed yourself. And we're going to need to be creative about finding places for us to work, finding ways to share our gifts, and I think churches have been wonderfully creative about this. But in the economic realm, each one of us is going to have to adapt to this and find new ways to share our talents and abilities in ways that benefit others and that will benefit ourselves mutually uh, through the, uh, the shared wonder of the free market. And in doing that, we'll provide for ourselves and we'll help others. And thankfully, we find not only is it in the scriptures, but it's, it's also even in secular research that this is written into the very uh, DNA and into the very interaction of the entire human race. I saw this um, traveling in uh, newly opened up Eastern European countries after, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, There were these little pockets of creativity behind the scenes, you know, that had been preserved, you know, where people were still doing things. They were still creating things. They were still making things. And all of that, like, literally came out of the woodwork. Um, And 
um, and people then found ways to get those things to market and create markets. And they then, you know, the enterprise began and took off. And then, you know, cooperation follows that in terms of uh, of how those markets grow. So um, we have seen these kinds of things happen in the past. We are confident that um, that they will happen in this generation as well. So uh, let your creative energies flow um, and build something during this time. Build something. Build something. Write something. Create something. Uh, and then and then be confident that there will be a market for it on the other side of uh, of all these closures. Let's talk about, um, Ben, what you have me a little freaked out about yesterday, the seizure of private university endowments. Okay, I don't know anything about this. Um, and so could you introduce us to this topic um, and <clears throat> hopefully you're going to take some of the fear out of it, but I, I fear that may not be true. Well, uh, I'm a little bit fearful to see this, particularly where it's uh, emanating, which is not on the far left, but among uh, conservatives. And uh, so there was a publication uh, known as Human Events. It's recently been relaunched. It was Ronald Reagan's favorite newspaper in its original uh, orientation. And uh, some new owners have come in, breathed new life into it. There was an article on uh, March 30th entitled Seize the Endowments. And there's an echo of that uh, in a similar similar article in The American Conservative. Uh, simply put, uh, they have the standard crit- critique of uh, academia, which is 100% accurate, that uh, no matter how much money you give to academia, they always raise tuition. The college's tuition inevitably goes up. There's not enough benefit for uh, those who are genuinely struggling to make ends meet. They've gone on a spending spree for administration and things like that. Uh, this is this is largely true of academia uh, writ large, and particularly for the institutions that they analyze, like uh, Ivy League institutions, Harvard and Yale. Harvard, Yale have a multi-billion dollar uh, endowments. And so they say, the way that we should make up for this is very simple. We will seize those endowments or we will tax those endowments and uh, we'll redistribute that money back to students through the federal government. Now, that sounds like something out of Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, but uh, this is in the pages of a magazine called The American Conservative or Ronald Reagan's favorite newspaper. Uh, and it's a very small step uh, intellectually from saying, let's seize nonprofit money that um, is belongs to an institution doing things we disapprove of or not doing things that the federal government uh, could do more easily. It's a small step from that argument to saying, let's tax all the churches. And in fact, it uses the exact same moral argument, uh, which is that the federal government has so many things that it could be doing with that money and churches are simply hoarding the money. Uh, The word hoarding is used in these articles uh, about Harvard and Yale. So uh, the idea is that uh, if a nonprofit isn't doing what the federal government would like it to do with its money, the federal government has a right simply to confiscate it and redistribute it. That's a scary principle at any time, but particularly uh, in uh, in times like these where uh, there is such a turn against the church. And again, often uh, the critique is, is one of many institutions uh, within the church that we would have to uh, admit in our shame actually does hold. Uh, But the answer to that is a revival from within. It's not for the federal government to uh, seize things in a way that would violate the founding principles of this country and then go about redistributing it. That's a recipe for tyranny, and it shouldn't be be, uh, being given serious consideration among people on the right and especially people of faith. There are people of faith who are prepared to enter into this conversation, Ben. Um, There are, uh, you know, there's a whole generation of folks now who— were once a part of mainline denominations where there are massive endowments 
given by faithful Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists over the years, um, you know, over the over the centuries at this point. Um, and those endowments are now in the hands of uh, of of people who absolutely do not adhere in, in any way, shape or form to the faith once delivered to the saints. And um, and millions of faithful Christians walked away from those institutions and those institutions still, uh, you know, still claim those endowment funds. And and therefore, you know, their their work, which I view as very much now on the wrong side of things, um, is going to persist. Uh, but it's going to persist in a way that's not ultimately going to be fruitful because it's not it's not giving glory to God. So I think part of this conversation is be careful where you give your money. Right. Mission drift is real. Um, pay attention to who gets elected to shepherd and steward financial gifts over over the long haul. Um, and then and then, yeah, we still have to uphold it, even if it's not being um, if it's not being used in a way that is that is honest to the uh, to the desires of the original donors. That's something that you could take up in a court of law, but you can't just steal the money. That's exactly right, and and I'm so glad that you made the distinction that you have. It's so hard for people to leave a church if their grandmother's name is on the pew, uh, for example, yeah. because of donations to the church. Uh, but it's psychologically, whatever boundaries have to be overcome, we have to be true to Christ first. And so if that means leaving a church or leaving a, denom- a denomination because of standards that are no longer in, a, in accordance with the faith that their grandfather or grandmother professed, that's necessary. And one of the most important things that happens within churches is that um, revolutionaries love to burrow their way into institutions that have massive resources. So uh, family endowments, things like the Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundation, uh, those are 180 degrees opposed to the views of the families that uh, founded those institutions. They, They almost invariably fund causes on the far left, uh, causes that would not only be uh, against the interests uh, that you and I would consider to be good for society, but against the interests of their founders. So that's a very real concern, and it's something that has to be watched with great diligence, especially in our churches. Absolutely. Ben, as always, you are um, helping us uh, pay attention to things that we otherwise might miss. So thank you so much. Ben Johnson, you can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. we got to take a break for Greg Laurie and Knowing God. All right. Have you prayed today? Have you prayed for the nation today? Are you making plans to participate in the National Day of Prayer? It is one week away, Thursday, May the 7th, notably also my anniversary, notably also a day when we will be uh, here at Faith Radio in the middle of spring share. So I don't know, lots of reasons to circle May the 7th on your calendar. There's three that I just came up with. You might have another one. It is a week from today. Kathy Branzell, who is heading up the National Day of Prayer uh, Task Force, is going to be here next to talk with us about how we're going to do the National Day of Prayer in the midst of social distancing. Well, guess what? Prayer doesn't actually require um, physical proximity to a bunch of other people, just proximity to God. So let's get in proximity to him. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I meet a lot of parents who have good intentions, trying to raise their kids to embrace high moral standards. But what happens when the once peaceful child turns into a teen spinning out of control? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. That situation is all too common. Parents wanting to do everything right, but watching their kids turn out all wrong. 
Hey, if you're in this position, take stock of your rules, boundaries, and beliefs. Have your parenting techniques shifted as your child gets older, or are you still enforcing rules that worked five years ago? I know your intentions are good, but I challenge you to stick to your beliefs while updating the way you communicate with your teens. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Kathy Branzell. We're going to talk about the National Day of Prayer. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. All right, so let me um, let me offer a little surprise and delight here at the very beginning. We have had two conversations that immediately come to mind in the last week where different guests have um, openly not only just referred to, but actually instructed people in the prayer, care, share lifestyle. Perfect. Oh, that makes I know. me very and, happy. <laughs> I know. And, they're, and, and you know, I mean, they are probably people who you would know because these are circles that you, uh, you don't just run in, you draw. You draw these people into collaborative efforts. But when they, it delighted me when they, you know, were answering questions about other things and they were like, well, Carmen, actually, this is really just a prayer care share approach. And then they would just lay it out for people. And I was just like, woohoo! It's so great. Yes. It's so great. Yes. I know. Um, yes, the, way more Becky, than a logo, a lifestyle. I love it. Yeah, Be- <laughs> Becky Pippert was the most recent one, and I thought, wow. I mean, you know, if you got the out of the salt shaker, uh, you know, into the world person, uh, her new book is Stay Salt. If you've got her out there talking, um, you know, prayer, care, share, that's that's strong. That's really strong. That's so, awesome. and the other one was I a Go Twenty Twenty conversation. So, I just thought yes. you would um, that would that would just delight your heart today. So, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, okay. Um, National Day of Prayer, one week away. You're probably not busy at all. Um, what, no. what, what is happening with the <laughs> National Day of Prayer as we are approaching this particular year? Yeah. So, uh, good news. More great news. We're full of sunshine this morning. Not canceled. Not postponed. Um, you know, because it's a law. It's on the books. And so, first Thursday of May, the president calls the nation to pray for the nation. So, I love that. And so, it's going to look different than it's looked in the past, but exciting. You know, our our state coordinators. A lot of people don't know we have fifteen thousand coordinators across the United States. And um, they were prayerful, and then uh, the Spirit started flowing in innovative and creative ways to make this happen. And so in your cities, in your states, um, there are prayer gatherings going on. They might be virtual. Um, Every state coordinator, I believe, is holding a virtual um, uh, prayer gathering, and that'll be fun. There's ways to do it individually. People are going on prayer drives to to different parking lots that represent the Seven Mountains. You know, you guys might even have people praying in your parking lot um, over media. (gasps) Can I I tell you? All right. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. Because this. Okay. So um, one of my colleagues, we, we are having these daily, um, you know, just very brief meetings at 10 a.m. And one of my colleagues mm-hmm. in one of these meetings shared this testimony of arriving back into the parking lot at the um, at the main studio in St. Paul. Um, and there's nobody in the parking lot. Right. I mean, he's there to drop off uh, a, a vehicle that's owned by the, you know, and pick up his own vehicle. There's nobody there. But there's yeah. a bus parked at the edge of the parking lot. 
And when he pulls in, the doors of the bus open and the bus driver is singing like glory filled tunes, like right. Praising God at the top of his lungs, like serenading this one radio station employee. Right. And just to bless him, like bless him in return. I just loved it. And so he's sitting out there praying in the parking lot and and giving glory to God. So, yeah, this this whole driving and praying thing, this is big. Yes, go to the parking lots, go on prayer walks, go, 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 you know, take your family, get out there, stay safe, stay within the regulations of COVID-19 wherever you are. But there's all kinds of ways we can go and then gather as a nation. So um, Thursday, May 7th, so a week from tonight, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time, we will have our national observance. And again, it's, it's not going to come to you from from the inside the Capitol in Washington, D.C., but it is going to come from the four corners of the United States. I love that. And, and a lot of places in between. And so our, lots of our prayer partners and pastors and friends and leaders um, all jumped in and said, yes, we will help mobilize prayer for America with you. And and so uh, you can watch it on our nationaldayofprayer.org website. It'll be on our National Day of Prayer and lots of our friends co-posting on Facebook Live. It will be on God TV and Daystar and in Lace Day and TBN and so many other, um, you know, different friends who are going to be uh uh, broadcasting this for us. And so pretty much by speaker and by screen, uh, different different radio stations have picked it up and we're so grateful. And so the nation and even the world, you know, which is beautiful with our theme this year, pray God's, um, pray God's glory across the earth, we'll be praying together next Thursday night. Love that. I love that. Um, Remind us about God's glory, because that's what we're praying. We're praying that God's glory, right, would just extend every nook and cranny and and life um, in the right. world. T- talk with us about the glory yeah. of God. Yeah. So our theme verse is actually Habakkuk 2.14, and um, Habakkuk was a prophet turned to intercessor, because <laughs> usually prophets talk to the people about what God's saying. And Habakkuk went to talk to God about what the people were saying and um, and got a pretty grim message, actually. It wasn't good news and things were going to get worse. But right in the middle of pronouncing woes over his people, God pauses and says, he makes a promise. And this is our, our promise that we're praying. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And according to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is Jesus Christ. So we are praying that the glory of God, that the knowledge of the glory, who is Jesus, will fill the earth. We're praying God's promise back to him. He's already said it will be so. And we're saying, make us your instruments. Let us see your glory. We exist in your glory. We experience your glory. And we want to express your glory. And in this time, there is a divine setup in the world right now for the whole world to see glory stories and to see um, how God is moving, but also to see a massive movement um, and display of God's glory around the earth. And that's what we're praying for. All right. Glory stories needs to uh, probably be the follow on hashtag uh, so that people can be posting glory stories um, yeah, in evidence to the way that the that the glory of God is 
is born out not only here but around the world. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with Kathy Branzell in just a moment. We're talking about the National Day of Prayer. Let me just ask you, what are you talking with God about today? Are you praying that the knowledge of the glory of God, the gospel, would fill the earth? I want to see his glory. Don't you? Pray with me. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell, we're talking about the National Day of Prayer. It is Thursday, May the 7th. You can get all the resources that you need and connect with uh, a virtual event in your own area, nationaldayofprayer.org, nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, the, the main event, although the main event is really each and every one of us praying, but the main collective event is from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, Next Thursday night, a week from tonight, you can listen to the entirety of the broadcast right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also, um, you can stream it in lots of places as well. So maybe you listen to us streaming at MyFaithRadio.com. You'll be able to listen to the National Day of Prayer uh, national event from 8 to 10 p.m. a week from tonight, uh, and that's Eastern time. So do the math, 7 to 9 Central. There you go. Um, Kathy, Let's talk a little bit about uh, um, what different communities are doing across the country, just in terms of prayer, not not necessarily related to the National Day of Prayer, but just how people are gathering for prayer in these in these very strange times. Absolutely. So people have been so creative. And, you know, one thing I'm really grateful for is people are praying for our quote unquote heroes right now. I love that people are going, groups of people are going to hospital parking lots or they're cheering people on right here in my subdivision. Um, tonight in my, my little subdivision here in Atlanta, we we're doing light the night and everybody is doing luminaries up and down the sidewalk. Um, and, and our, my prayer group, you know, we're calling it, uh, glory shines out of the dark. And so we're, um, and then tomorrow we have a first responders parade going just around this loop of our subdivision and everybody's been encouraged to put signs in their windows or stand outside on their sidewalk with signs, just blessing them. And, and I love that. And people are praying together. My, uh, the person who delivers my mail every day, she comes up to my front porch and just stands there. And if I'm available, I go out, open my front door and we pray together on the front door. People are getting together in parking lots. People are getting together virtually, you know, on their computers with their favorite uh, video, you know, connection. There's I love that you guys are carrying the national day of prayer. I just, I picture hospital workers and first responders and warehouse workers listening to the national day of prayer and praying with us while they're at work. And uh, people are hungry for prayer and for prayer partners. And so I love that. That is happening right now, every day. Prayer walking around um, around your school. Um, mm-hmm. Prayer, you know, we can't necessarily go into our churches right now, but that doesn't mean that we can't prayer walk in the parking lot. Um, there are all kinds of spaces and places where we just want to encourage people to be prayer walking um, for fe- for people who are not familiar with that concept or that idea, like that is something that they've never done. Um, tell people mm-hmm. just sort of the basics of prayer walking. Yeah. So if you know your neighbors, 
then you go for a walk up and down your street and pray. stop and pray at each household, even if you don't know them by name. You know, pray for the, the kids that go to school. Pray for the schools. Pray for their finances. Pray that they're still able to go to work. Pray that their needs are being met. Pray that they are healthy. Most importantly, pray that they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, pray for an opportunity to speak with them. A lot of people are outside a lot, at least down here in the South, and doing yard work. I think you guys had some nice weather uh, over the weekend. While you're out, wave, stay safe, but, but pray and ask people, how can I pray for you? Uh, if you? If you walk in your city, if you walk in a park, pray for the person that you just passed by, even if you don't know them by name. And then also realize that in this day and age, you can reach around the world in your recliner. So go through all your contacts. Think about your friends. Think about the people on your social media. Think about old friends and old places you used to live and reach out to them. Send them a text and just say, I'm sitting here praying. How can I pray for you today? You could prayer walk the world, you know, just uh, go and, and think about different countries and pray over them. Pray over the different corona cases. You know, the list goes on and on. You could pray all day. That would really delight the Lord. Okay, I love, I love, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I wish I knew how to make an image of a reclining prayer in the recliner. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. I think that's just a great yes. idea. Um, yes, I, I know a guy named Ron. Yeah, Ron, if you're listening right now, dude, you could be doing recliner prayers. Like, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Borrow Pretty mom's, like, yes. borrow mom's Rolodex, Ron, and you could, you could be doing recliner prayers today. I love it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. many, um, so many options, right? It's so good. It's so good. Kathy, it's always so great to catch up with you. Um, we're praying uh, with you and for you in the lead up to next Thursday night and, and next Thursday, the National Day of Prayer. We will be participating with you right here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, you know that I am with you and for you, uh, praying for you as you lead this great effort. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, my co-host, Will Graham, we will be coming to you from the Billy Graham Library. So that will be very exciting. So thank you for your prayers. And I'll come back in a few weeks and we'll share glory stories. We love that. Glory stories. We're looking forward to those. Uh, The Kathy Branzell National Day of Prayer. You guys can check it all out at nationaldayofprayer.org. We'll be right back. talk with a lot of uh, of authors here on the show and sometimes there's a book that just keeps um i don't know lifting itself up to the top of the pile i don't know how else to describe that so it was a month ago now um the 31st of march that we had heath adamson on to talk about the sacred chase from proximity to intimacy um and and in a in an office um where there are lots of books and lots of books demanding to be read all the time. Let me tell you, this little book keeps uh, keeps finding its way to the top of the pile. Um, and so I just wanted to share that with you, um, that there's a soul feast in there if you're willing to take the time um, to take and eat. There, there's a way of of reading where you actually take in the sustenance of the word. Uh, I mean, obviously, that for those of you familiar with the Old Testament, you know, take and eat is is the directive of God. 
um, given to the prophet. Um, I'm going with Ezekiel. I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong about that. One of the prophets ate the word of God, like literally devoured it, took it in, ate it. Um, and and I, I want to be mindful of, of what we eat and how we eat in terms of uh, that which we are taking into ourselves as sustenance. And I just wanted to recommend this uh, this experience to you. The Sacred Chase really is a soul feast of getting from a place where I am proximate to God to genuinely intimate with Him. And so if that's something that you're longing for, let me just re-up that conversation. You can always go to MyFaithRadio.com and listen to podcasts from prior episodes of the show. So that one, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, was on the 31st of March, so a month ago, a month ago today. Um, We have a whole other hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. All right, I do want to share with you, uh, yesterday I made reference, I think it was yesterday, to Victory Gardens. Was that yesterday or the day before, Paul? I can't remember. So, um, and one of our listeners uh, then sent me an email saying, hey, we should talk about um, having, you know, having some meals that are vegetable only or vegetarian based. And so I just wanted to share with you. Yeah, yeah, we did that. We did that at my house on Tuesday night. I made a black bean and sweet potato soup. Uh, that's a totally vegan recipe. And then um, for dessert, we had what we call redemption muffins. We took the, the leftovers of last year's apple pressing when we made our cider. Uh, we've been keeping that in the freezer. We got that back out and we made redemption muffins. So there you go. You could have a plant-based meal day. It's nothing against meat. I'm just saying you could do it. It'd be good for you. It's good for me. It's good for us. All right. We got a whole other hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.